Hello sorry, again. sorry, sorry. You're going to have to start again. I have this hat that I accidentally touched and it's got like the Santa saying help. <laughs> nice. Sorry. Very, I was trying to Christmas-y. move it out of the way. Hello, welcome to Hattrick. I am Jordan Ella Coltman, joined by Elliot Tanti. Elliot, we are alone again. Braden uh, is finishing up his last week of performances of A Christmas Carol at the Citadel. So we are going to be tasked, you and I, with wrapping up 2021 all alone. It's all about you and me. Our opinions are will be the definitive ones put down in history as uh, as we are the only ones here to, to, to share them. So before we uh, get into it, um, <laughs> you know merry christmas happy holidays this will be our last episode of 2021 we will have a special episode uh for our listeners coming up next week that'll be on boxing day no it'll be the day after boxing day i'm sorry the monday following boxing day uh coming out and it will be a uh, best of the year compilation episode so um each of us has picked one of our favorite topics from the year and we'll, we'll put a little special together there so you can listen to it and feel like you're going back in time uh, just as you get ready for the end of the year. And then we'll be back in the new year. But before we get going, Elliot, welcome. Uh, happy, as I said, happy holidays. Uh, I wanted to give you a moment uh, to to bask in the glory of what has been a very busy week. I know you are probably very tired. Uh, for those who don't know, Elliot works with the Boyle Street Community Services in Edmonton. And very big news coming out of um, their part of the world this week. Uh, a, a Very, very big news. I'll let you share it, Elliot. But I just wanted to congratulate you and your whole team on all of the hard work you guys have been doing and, and your your new opportunity. Um, do you want to share our, with our listeners what uh, what you've been up to? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Uh, so, we, you know, Boyle Street's been on a journey for nearly six years to find a new home. Uh, our current facility is is crumbling, <laughs> um, you know, flooding, and we've had tons of issues. Uh, and so we've secured a new site uh, just two blocks away from our current site. So we'll still be able to serve Edmonton's homeless uh, population. And it was made possible through the sale of our current building to the Oilers Entertainment Group and also by a significant contribution by the Edmonton Oilers Community Foundation of $10 million uh, to get us going on on, on renovations. Um, and so it's very it's been very exciting for myself, obviously for our organization, but most importantly, it's it's we're about to build something beautiful uh, for our community and, and they deserve that. Uh, and uh, I was, you know, a, a small part. It was a big team that's been working on this for a long time, but uh, we were happy, happily announced this week and uh, everything's really positive. So thanks for the shout out, Jordan, and giving me time to talk about it. And uh, if Absolutely. people want to know more, they can go to boilstreet.org, boilstreet.org. Awesome. Yeah, our hats go off to you and to all of you team, everybody over there at Boyle Street uh, from the Ordinary Podcasting Network. You are our hats off for the year. And also a huge hat off to the uh, Edmonton Oilers uh, Community Foundation, as you mentioned. And all those people who have bought 50-50 tickets, look at how beneficial this organization can be, the impact and the number of people that it continues to help. So uh, a great organization. If you are one of those people who turns to charities at the end of the year to, to make contributions to, another good opportunity to do that. There's so many great charities throughout uh, Western Canada. Um, we wanted to take our hat off to Boyle Street Community Services and to the Edmonton Oilers. All right, let's get to our show. Okay, topic one. Uh, I mean, it's the only thing in the news right now. If you're an NHL fan, a hockey fan, even just a sports fan in Canada, you can't really be missing it. Uh, if you're not a sports fan, you're aware of Omni, uh, the, the, the Omnicron. Omni, how do you fucking say it, Elliot? I'm struggling today. Omnicron, Omnicron, Omnicron. Whatever it is, what it is, we all know what we're talking about here. <laughs> yeah, the new variant. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, if you've been paying any attention to the news, obviously you are aware of the Omicron virus uh, variant, ver- variant on the coronavirus, all of the, however you want to put it. Look, it's exhausting. We all have COVID fatigue. This whole thing just seems like it's a never ending uh, cycle. You know, I, someone made an analogy the other day to how this is starting to feel. You, you know, the big wave pool at West Edmonton Mall and how like every 15 minutes or maybe it's even more frequently, a whole bunch of waves just come flying at you and you kind of have to survive it. And it's kind of fun for the first couple of minutes. And then if you get flipped over in the tube, it can be absolutely terrifying. That's what COVID's felt like a lot less fun. Uh, uh, but the same kind of thing. Every time it feels like we've had a little lull or a moment to catch our breath, something else is coming down the, the pike. And I'm sure that's exactly how the NHL is feeling. And that is what we wanted to talk about today. So the NHL really in uh, the, probably the worst shape they have been uh, as far as this virus affecting their, their actual players affecting um, their product. Uh, obviously they shut down with the NBA and everybody else back in March of, of 2020, but, this is the first time that they really had the numbers of infections uh, as high as they have. Every single team in the league is affected. Every single team has players out. Some teams completely decimated to the point where they really don't even have players to play. Uh, many games were being postponed throughout the week. It was starting to feel more and more like it was just inevitable that we were going to get a shutdown. We aren't. We are getting sort of a like a half shutdown, if you can call it that. It's very strange. Uh, the big issue right now is the border, obviously. We're seeing um, teams that that are going across the border, having players test positive, the Oilers, for example, the SC Pugliarvi, and literally having to abandon that player there because under the current guidelines, he can't re-enter Canada until he is uh, negative. So, you know, he's now stuck in a Seattle hotel room. And so I think after, uh, you know, we, we saw the Maple Leafs game in Vancouver shut down, uh, postponed. We've seen dozens and dozens of games. The Calgary Flames have basically already been written off until the new year. Um, but the Edmonton Oilers were one of the teams that were still kind of playing through. They played Saturday night. Today it came down, or Sunday night it came down from the NHL that they will no longer have cross-border games until at least the 23rd. So the Oilers, who are on a California road trip, will return home. A couple other teams, both American and, and, and Canadian, on either side of the border will return home and wait to see what happens. But at this point, Elliot, why has the NHL not just shut down until the new year? Uh, they, they already have a bit of an extended Christmas break that they're about to hit. Why not just uh, scrub the last few games here, and, and, you know, out of a, an abundance of caution, reevaluate and figure out if they need to go an extra two weeks in the spring. Um, why are they dragging their feet? Well, I, you know, you'd have to ask the commissioner and the head of the players union. I mean, I think there's clearly something here. Something is brewing around mandatory testing. Right now, all the leagues are testing players, even if they're asymptomatic every day. And clearly you're getting people that are testing positive and that's, situation and now having to quarantine and that's impacting teams i think it was as a friday like there were 85 players in the league and there's yeah. been more over the weekend upwards of 70 yeah. yeah yeah so so that's having an impact there and i think leagues are trying to figure out if it's appropriate if they can get away with no longer testing asymptomatic people the nfl is moving in that direction and i think other leagues are waiting to see what happens at the nfl and then i'm going to be making a decision I mean, there's something else here that lingers, which is that there's an there's an upcoming conversation and both on this show, but also, uh, you know, we're hearing rumors that the Olympics might be impacted. And I think the league wants a decision on the Olympics before they start thinking about how much time they're going to delay, because there is potentially two weeks of schedule there to make up games if they don't go to the Olympics. Right. So I, I think that there's just as everything with COVID, multiple factors, things are changing very quickly. And that's why that's what feels to me why there's been some hesitation to shut it down. And I wouldn't be surprised if we get 
like, you know, even to Tuesday this week and we find out that they're not, that everything shut down until the new year. Yeah. Going into the games on Saturday, when I heard that the Toronto game here in Vancouver was being canceled um, or postponed, I guess um, it really started to feel like it was inevitable. You know, if the Maple Leafs go down, you're assuming the league's going to shortly follow, but it didn't seem to be the case. They let the rest, many of the rest of the games, I shouldn't say all of them, but many of the rest of the Saturday night games conclude. And it felt a little bit like it was Monday was going to be the day, or or as you said, Tuesday, it really felt like we did. They just wanted to survive the weekend, get those big TV ratings on hockey night in Canada or something, and then figure it out. And yet it does. It doesn't seem like that's the case. It seems like they are, like you said, really hesitant to officially postpone the season or, or sort of pause the season, I guess. And it, it doesn't make sense to me right now. It feels like you have a, I mean, the NHL as a whole has become a super spreader. Um, these numbers are just getting worse and worse. And obviously the way that the, the numbers are coming out, it, it isn't like they caught, you know, the majority of the infected people and got them out there. There's clearly infected people who have been playing in the last four, five, six, seven days all within that window of, of infection. And we know that the Omicron variant is much more infectious. That's the biggest thing about it, whether or not the illness is as severe or not, that's the science is, is still out on that regardless. Uh, you know, it's very infectious all, but one NHL player currently playing is double vaccinated. Um, so the hope is that at least health wise, we're not going to see the same kind of impacts that say the Vancouver Canucks experienced last year where they had right. several players really, really ill. But again, we don't know this affects everybody a little bit differently that there's no sort of, you know, simple thing. And we've also seen a lot of athletes, including two on the, you know, the Oilers roster who have suffered long-term COVID uh, issues, my mitocarditis and a sort of long haul uh, COVID symptoms. So this this can only get worse and i think it feels very much like uh like you said the nhl is waiting for somebody else to do the the thing first probably like they did with the nba in the first place right the nba shut down the next day the nhl did it really does feel like the nhl is afraid to be the first guy to do um what is i'm sure a very difficult thing financially um and of course they're dealing with two very different countries uh protocols too which is which is a factor well, I think that that's the challenge that's unique to the NHL is the border thing. Now they've mitigated that today by stopping all cross-border games. Um, but I, I that it is very much in the fashion of the NHL to make a decision after the other leagues. So yeah. let's see where the NBA land. Let's see where the NFL is a bit of a tricky one because they're like heading towards um, playoffs. Not just playoffs in their league, but also playoffs in their fantasy leagues, which is a significant revenue source for them as well, too, which is interesting. Uh, And so the NFL might be doing something different, but I I think the NHL will look to the NBA. And I'm sure there's conversations between the two leagues right now about, like, what are you guys thinking? What are you doing? You know, I I think as long as there is a... if there is what's going on in Quebec where you can't have mass gatherings and they're stopping of the sporting events, the NHL does not want to play in front of no fans. They have decided that that, that revenue is just too important to them. So when that, that could be another factor here is if jurisdictions start banning like hockey games, then, uh, then that could impact the season as well too. Yeah. And, and yes, the NBA and the NHL are always the closest of partners because they also share a lot of the same facilities. And that's a big piece of this now too. the scheduling yeah is a nightmare in the first place. And now you're, you're adding all these factors. The thing that does seem odd to me is if you just paused your season, it, it would, I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, 
but it feels like it would be easier to reschedule and, and reorganize if everyone is on the same sort of footing, not necessarily just games played, but just in terms of we have to get this number of weeks back on the schedule as opposed to, you know, six teams have played another two weeks of games, two teams haven't this, you know what I mean? And the teams yeah. divisionally, all of that, it just, it's a matrix of, of a mess. And it does feel almost like by avoiding or by postponing, <laughs> by postponing the postponement, by, by dragging your feet on the, the, harder decision you are creating a whole bunch of smaller but equally challenging um uh, difficulties that you're going to have to eventually uh solve and even even where we are today regardless there's already a, a myriad of of question marks about will every team plays the same number of games can they make these games up will they be made up against the same opponents or are we looking at some kind of retooling and hybrid schedule all the way through you know and and just just an absolute cluster of, of problems. So uh, I don't think you or I are going to solve this tonight. Uh, and I also feel like, you know, we don't need to get too much deeper into it because uh, this is very fluid and it's going to change. Yeah. And probably by the time this is out on Monday, there'll be new news. And by the time people <laughs> listen to it Tuesday or Wednesday, there'll be new news and we'll see what happens uh, after the 23rd, which is as far as this current plan to not have cross-border games goes, I'm sure I would, I would highly doubt we're going to see um, Canadian teams going south of the border until after Christmas at this point. I think that's safe to say. I do have one update. Jesse Pugliarvi is on a plane back to Edmonton, apparently. Yeah, that's great news. That probably means then that either I had a false positive or some other uh, protocol. I'm not quite they sure. They bought him a plane that he's sitting by himself. <laughs> yeah. Regardless, though, it isn't even that. He's just entering the country. He'd be breaking protocol, yeah, though. So that's the challenge. So I guess we'll wait and see. A lot, And that's what I mean. It's fluid, right? It's changing constantly. So let's leave it there. That's topic one. Oh, happy holidays from the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It is the season of giving, and what better gift to give than some fresh swag from the Ordinary Podcasting merch store. We have a brand new holiday collection, t-shirts and toques, all with special logo designs for the holiday season. You can head over to the Ordinary Podcasting merch store at ordinarypodcasting.com. Check it out. See what's there. This is a very special limited edition run of merchandise that will only be available until the end of 2021. So get over there, grab some fun swag, share it with your friends, promote your favorite podcasts, and let us know what you think on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. All right. On to topic two. Okay. Basically picking up where we just left off because Elliot already touched on it in topic one, because it's all connected. There's, you know, all of these things are as, as, as they usually are there, there's a lot of factors in an NHL season, but this one being so much more complicated, the Olympics coming up in February was meant to be the return for the NHL players. Uh, they would be going to Beijing, China. We've already discussed a little bit on the show, some of the challenges around the Olympics in general. Uh, it does look now like most of the Western sort of alliance of countries, England uh, or Great Britain, Canada, the United States will be boycotting uh, the Olympics as far as diplomatically. Um, and now it looks like very unlikely, given, given the current circumstances, like we will see NHL players there. Uh, I know certain NHL players from certain countries have made it very clear that they still intend to go. But I think as far as the Canadians and the Americans are concerned, it's looking less and less likely by the minute um, if it hasn't already been sort of internally decided. And the biggest factor being, you know, the risk of quarantine. We just talked about it with Jesse Pugliarvi and some of these players just crossing the American-Canadian border. But the challenges of going that far overseas uh, and getting COVID or being being, you know, forced into some form of quarantine that could last up to 14 days, you know, in a foreign country far away from 
home, far away from the NHL, far away from all of those things is, is, a, is a complication we have never seen when it comes to, to the NHL and the Olympics. There's a lot of other complications, which is why it's always been a fight. This is a whole different thing. And I think at this point, I mean, does it even make sense for them to be going, Elliot, if, if they were to go? The NHL players, absolutely not. It doesn't make any sense. And I think we've been sort of, I think we've been gearing up for the decision. Oh, it's not been made, although there are some leaks out there supposedly saying that it has been made uh, as of Sunday night uh, that they're not going. And I think that you've, you, what you've seen is sort of them testing the waters around, yeah, this doesn't make sense. Yeah, well, this could be a problem. Yeah, well, there's this. And to gear up for, so it's not a big surprise and people aren't really overly angry. Because then that's how you kind of do these things when you make difficult and big decisions in that way. So I, and, and I think it's the right move. Like, I honestly think it's the right move. I'm not sure anyone should be going to China at this point, to be completely honest with you, both politically and from a public health standpoint. Um, but uh, this is really about the NHL. It's about the players and it's about the impact on teams and revenue. And uh, I think the, you know, I, I just saw Elliot uh, Friedman tweet out tonight that, uh, this 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 delay that we were talking about in the previous segment uh, is material schedule damage, which they could use as an excuse not to go. And so that might have been just what they're waiting for. I think it's all but certain at this point, and it makes sense. It's the right thing to do. Yeah, and as you said, it it would give them a get out of jail free card if they're having to do some more postponing because they would open up a whole window of of time that was currently not on the schedule, yep. but right in the window of of when their regular season still wanted. I know the NHL desperately does not want to extend their a regular season past the regular sort of end of March, early April window. Anyway, they'd like to get their playoffs played in in the normal time frame and go back to a somewhat regular schedule off season. Um, so as selfish as that may or may not be in terms of the other things they can't control. This is definitely a, a, a window of opportunity that they may choose to take advantage of if it isn't already um, what they're planning to do, which could, again, going back to our previous topic, be part of the delay. As you said, we, they could just be waiting for it to be formalized. The question is, um, as you brought up, should anyone be going? I mean, at this point, most of the rest of um, the international hockey community is, is scrambling. We just heard today or on a su- Sunday, uh, it was reported that team Canada will not participate in the Spangler cup that's in Europe. Yeah. Uh, and most of the players who play in the Spangler club Spangler cup play in Europe. So it's not even like they're traveling a dramatically far distance. It's just about reducing the risk of putting these players into a, you know, an, an, an unofficial bubble. Cause it's not a COVID bubble that would be protected. It's just a tournament and you're going to be interacting with a ton of different people coming from different regions. So they've already done that. That feels like foreshadowing to what I think is again, inevitable. If they don't go to the Olympics, um, would you anticipate that Canada still finds and fields a team for the Olympics, or are they going to have to even consider not doing that at this point? Well, it just feels like there's not a lot of time here. Like, so we're in the middle of December. When's it supposed to start the middle of February? February, So you're going to pull a team together in two months. I mean, I think you're more likely to see hockey just not be an event at the Olympics this year. I mean, that 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 may. I mean, maybe you, maybe you can pull it together, but then, you know, you've still got the same concerns. It's just they're not NHL players. You still could have people potentially stuck there for 14 days after the event. Uh, you have to sort that out. There's still the the challenges of that. Um, 
does Hockey Canada go about? Like, what's the revenue factor for Hockey Canada? It's there's it's, it's certainly not what it would be if there's NHL players. So, does it make sense from a dollars and cents standpoint? And that will be the ultimate decision maker, right? It's not about whether they want to or not. It's going to be about dollars and cents. Um, and so, so I just think it's it's too soon to tell right now. But my sense is that there's just there's not enough time to turn this around. The NHL players aren't going. I don't know what the do you only think thing I would say. Like? The only thing I would say is it does feel like there is an opportunity considering you do have a team built for the Spangler Cup. You do have a lot of Canadians in Europe and and in the KHL. We know Russia is definitely going to be sending players regardless. They're so close to China as it is. They're not going to be they're not one of those federations that's going to feel like this is enough of a reason not to go, uh, considering the fact that they're not even branded as team Russia. When they go, they don't seem to follow any rules. They certainly won't be following that. Um, I would. I have a hard time believing that if the if the Olympics is going to go ahead as scheduled, if the Olympics isn't going to have some kind of disruption as a result of this in general, which it does not feel like it is. It feels like after the way that Tokyo went down in the summer, the IOC is pretty hell-bent on making sure that they just plug along with this. China is certainly hell-bent on making this thing happen regardless. They're not you know, they're not going to be postponing unless they're absolutely forced to because this escalates even more than it currently is. But under the current circumstances, I don't see the, the, the Olympics being postponed. And as a result, I would think any team that wants to send a, a, a hockey team will do so. And I would expect most countries still will. The question is, does Canada and the United States follow? And if they don't, what's the, what's the consequence or, or the follow through? Do we find other teams? Like, is there another European nation that was close, you know, that wasn't yeah. qualified for the Olympics that the IOC opens the door for yeah. and says, well, the doors, you know, here, come on play Belarus or come on and play. I don't know who else is, who, who else hasn't qualified this year specifically, but I don't know. It's a very strange scenario. It feels very different than Tokyo where you had a full overall sort of postponement. This feels like it could come down to one marquee sport. Cause I would assume the bobsled sledders are going, I would assume the skeletons. Well, are going that's just it. I mean, there's this lots, point. there's lots of organized, you know, sports federations that have made the decision. They're just all in. So uh, maybe you're right. Maybe it doesn't impact you. You just bring some people over. I just, um, having any olympic games at all right now just seems feels like makes less and less sense to me every day all right well i think that's a good place to leave it and i think that's what we should do that was topic two do you or someone you know own a small business are you looking to grow or to reach new customers hey why not let us help hatrick is looking for unique brands businesses and products to advertise on our show you can find out how we can help spread the word about your business by contacting us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Okay, topic three. We're going to try to cheer you up here at the end of uh, two pretty hard topics. But uh, at the end of the day, it is the end of 2021. It has been a very busy, very hectic, very uh, action-packed year. Our first full dedicated year back with this show on uh, a regular schedule. We've had a lot of fun. We've had a lot of uh, silliness. We've also had a lot of serious and important conversations, which is exactly what this show is supposed to be about. And as I mentioned, next week following Christmas, we will have a special look back at three big topics we had uh, on uh, shows throughout the year. They'll all be there for you to listen to, but we wanted to take a moment to round out 2021 by reflecting and looking back at some of the biggest stories from the world of sports. Some of them, uh, we obviously, we talked about all of them in some, some different forms. Some of them were sort of drawn out over several months, several episodes, and sometimes it was a one-off thing. So I will turn it over to my friend Elliot here to get us kicked off. Elliot, for you, what was one of the biggest stories of the year? 
I think, it, you know, it's not one independent story. It's probably made up of two big stories. And, and that is uh, Soccer Canada and what's happened uh, for soccer in this country over this last year. Uh, let's start with, obviously, the Canadian women winning gold at the Olympics, uh, something that they've been... Um, you know, gearing up for and, and directionally where they've been headed for a long time as a team, they finally got it done. And it's, it was a momentous occasion and you really, they, they captured the nation um, uh, hearts and, 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 and as they have several times before, you know, the previous one being the last Olympics when they won bronze. Um, but I think, you know, this, 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 that moment was sort of the culmination of a long time and, and, and primarily like mostly centered around Christine Sinclair, but the, of the growth of the women's program in this country. Um, and that coupled with the way that the year ended with the men's team and how they have, uh, they put themselves in a really good position to, to qualify for Qatar and the World Cup. Uh, and the way that they captivated both Edmonton, but I think the entire nation as a whole, and they were watching those games against Mexico and Costa Rica in November and their performance up until date, uh, to date. The reason why I think it's it's kind of a story of the year is that it's very rare that you get like a prolonged kind of two piece of two different parts of the year story about soccer in Canada. And we got to. Uh, and I think they this this story has captivated the nation. I think 2022 is going to be really interesting and really big for for men's soccer, particularly. Um, and so that's why I think it's the story of the year, how, just with the way that it's captured our nation. That's a great one. I totally agree. I think uh, both of them were exciting. Both of those two moments were exciting, but you're right. There's a connective thread. There's a lot of connective threads. You know, you've got John Herdman, who is such a big part of developing the women's program into the powerhouse that it has become on the global stage, you know, oh, yes. first qualifying for, you know, the World Cup here in Vancouver uh, after failing to to get to the gold medal game in London, the Olympics, then getting a bronze there, following it up with another bronze in Rio. You know, he stepped away to take over the men's team, develop that program, um, sort of the Canadian soccer architect of the last decade. And then, of course, for Christine Sinclair, the crowning jewel of uh, an absolutely illustrious career. She's not yeah. retired. She's not done. Clearly still wants to play. And that's awesome. But this will be sort of the, the, the crowning achievement of her uh, career and the legacy of that. Um, and also the importance of, uh, uh, you know, sort of the culmination of a journey where she's been one of those marquee, Canadian stars for so long since she was 16 years old, if not younger, and has been capturing our imaginations, as you said, capturing our hearts, following her every couple years when one of these tournaments gets the attention that it deserves. Uh, and in doing so, also, you're starting to see these young women who are now part of that organization go and win it. I mean, the, some yeah. of the girls who are out there kicking, you know, uh, shots that would win them the gold medal were were young, young children looking up to Christine when they, you know, when, when they were in their formative period Absolutely. of time, falling in love with the sport of soccer and for her to be one of those role models. And then eventually teammates is just such a beautiful part of the story. And then again, on the men's side, as you said, you know, Alfonso Davies, uh, these young men who are a part of a, 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 a national team that has for so long struggled and for so yeah. long been relegated to being just another nation on, you know, everybody else's sort of checklist on their way to world cup, you know, qualification. And now we're starting to see them just, just on the precipice of something really, really special. Um, and whether or not they make it in the end, they've left, uh, I think a really big impact and a big impression on a lot of young soccer fans and, and, and seasoned ones, frankly, in this country. And that's, what's yeah. really awesome. Yeah. 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 You're starting to see the same sort of framework that Christine Sinclair inspired 
uh, Canadian women's soccer now, Alfonso Davies and this new young, new batch of young players are starting to to inspire the next generation. I think the next, you know, we're, we'll be really blessed for the next 15 to 20 years watching Canadian soccer and particularly that men's program grow. So let's pivot to our next one. We were, we, you know, it's hat trick, So we have three. Uh, so our second one uh, I think is, is one of the more difficult conversations we've been having throughout the year. And I think that it's important because it, it's a part of, again, like what you were just talking about, a bigger story, right? So we, we started following and started re- sort of covering the Blackhawks sexual assault scandal, cover-up scandal um, early in the s- summer following Rick Westhead's reporting from TSN. And obviously Rick Westhead deserves all the credit for, for bringing this story to oh, the light because, yeah. you know, hard, hard investigative journalism, which you don't often see in sports because a lot of people are just following the day to day. And Rick Westhead has, has for, for a long time been one of Canada's best sports sort of investigative journalists, but he was really at the, the forefront of bringing to light, you know, Kyle Beach's story. And I think that it's connected to a bigger conversation that is happening now in sports, a reckoning, if you will, um, about accountability, right? We, you know, some people want to call it cancel culture. Some people want to call it woke, what, wokeness, whatever it is. For me, it's, it's accountability. It's an, we are in a, a new place as a society and, and as a sports community about holding the people who have behaved poorly, who have made very uh, committed crimes, uh, behaved poorly, or, or 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 have hurt other people accountable for their actions, for their words, for their choices. And I think that that's important because it opens up a dialogue that is so overdue in sports, in the NHL, in the NFL, in, in, in major sp- sports. Um, it also connects to one of the very first stories we were talking about in the new year last year about women's hockey. And, and the coverage of women's hockey. And I think that you are seeing as we come out of come towards the end of this year, more coverage of women's sports, more coverage of, of minorities in sports, more awareness about it, media campaigns, advertising campaigns about these issues. All of the, um, all of the conversations are leading to change, but more importantly, they're leading to more dialogue and more conversation. And that is the catalyst of change. And I think that that's for me, one of the biggest stories of the year is it feels like um, 2021 really was a, a wake up call for a lot of people in the sports community, people working in it and fans around, around, um, around sports. And for, for us on the show, obviously we had lots to cover and lots to talk about. Um, but I really feel like 2021 will be looked back at as being a, a really important year for progress uh, in accountability. Um, so I don't, yeah, I don't know how you want to yeah, jump in no, on that, but <laughs> I, I, I think you know, well said, well said, and and I think that accountability piece is is really important. You know, as I say every time we talk about this topic, is we'll see, right? Um, because sports is ever present and always moving. Uh, and so, you know, you have seen some of these conversations slide away, I think, uh, a little bit as Omicron and Olympics and whatever else has occurred. But I do think we are at the beginning of a reckoning. And I think leagues are at the very least recognizing that they have to they can't just hide it and they can't just ignore it. They have to engage with it. Um, and that that's <laughs> as, as awful as this sounds. That's progress. Uh, and so I, I think it is, uh, it's an ongoing conversation. This goes back to George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, um, defund the police movement. You know, there's lots of, uh, there's lots of places where it started, but those, those social happenings are starting to impact sports in a way that they, uh, used to not, which I think is good. 
Yeah. And obviously it, it didn't start this year, right? We, yeah. we, we had these conversations at different times, but I really feel like this year um, they kind of pile on each other and it, it made it much harder for people, I think, to sweep things under the rug or to ignore things. And that is important that, you know, as a collective, these stories continue to happen. And as I, as I agree with you very, very much, you know, obviously we wait and see, it, you know, the wheel keeps turning. And the question is, do eventually these things become sort of passe i hope not i hope they are you know chain links in in a long chain moving forward uh connecting all of these pieces together and that one can lead to another and hopefully you know the next kyle beach feels feels empowered by the fact that he stepped forward when he did um and feels safe enough to come forward and share their story in in a similar way you know hopefully he can be that for someone else just as you know as difficult as a figure as he is, Theo Fleury was for a generation of people. Yeah. And just as, you know, we have those, we don't always have the perfect messengers. Let me put it that way. But but the important <laughs> thing is that those stories come up. I also think as we talked about the women's part of it, you know, we talked about women's soccer a moment ago, you know, women's hockey has been getting more attention. It's on TSN. It's on the, you know, the broadcasters, I think are also coming around to understanding the importance of that. If you watch throughout this year, you know, even just like the, the, the hosts on, you know, the sports center or on Sportsnet. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Change over the course of the year, more diversity, more age diversity, more gender diversity, more race yeah. diversity. All of those things are important, but they are a result of these conversations, these things happening. You know, you go back four or five years ago, they're almost all white and they're almost all men. And, yeah. and it's nice to see some of that change happening. Like you said, that's progress. There's a conversation that I think was a little bit uh, unintended, uh, unintentionally opened last night on Hockey Night in Canada. And I don't know if you caught it at one of the intermissions, but Ron McLean sort of, you know, I think spilled the beans on the fact that the Vancouver Canucks are seriously considering hiring a woman as one of their either assistant general manager or general manager. And there is a serious conversation with three very prominent Canadian uh, and, or one of them is American, but three very prominent um, women hockey players or former women hockey players, including Jennifer Botterell is one of them who's sitting on the panel there. And he kind of, I think, you know, she was caught off guard by the fact that he was sharing it with the nation, but that's, that's progress too. You know, Um, it's important because until those, until again, uh, those glass ceilings are, are broken, the, the opportunities uh, aren't going to be there for, for other women to, to even strive for those job titles. And we need to see that we're seeing it in the NFL. We have women coaches, we've had women referees, we've seen it in the NBA, but again, where's the woman head coach in the NBA? Not there yet. Have not we seen there yet. Not behind the close, bench in the NHL? Close, not yet. Close, and that's the close, thing close, close yeah, but yeah. not there yet. And I yeah. hope that 2021 is another push in the right direction. It isn't Absolutely. the solution. Nothing has been fixed, but I hope that we are moving forward. Absolutely. All right, um, let's jump to our last of the three here. Obviously, there are so many stories we could cover. We could talk about the playoffs, the NHL. We could talk about Tom Brady and, and, and Tampa Bay or Tampa Bay. We could talk about, uh, you know, the NBA. And there's so many things that we, we covered. We talked about, you know, we could be talking right now about billiards. Frankly, we're not um, to Elliot's chagrin. But we are going to talk about one sort of what, for, what was sort of a formerly a niche sport in North America that I think has become huge in North America and so much so that we literally have a second podcast on this feed dedicated to it. And I think 2021 was like 
F1's uh, awakening in North America. Uh, yeah. Obviously, people had started following the series through COVID and on Netflix, uh, the Drive to Survive series, people starting to follow. But this season, the drama of Max and Lewis the whole way through, the way the season played out, Formula One really had, I think, their best year in North America ever. And that's a huge story in 2021. Obviously, it ends in a bit of a scandal, but that doesn't hurt that doesn't hurt when it comes to the drama part of it. Right. And that doesn't no. hurt when it comes to the viewership. I mean, we may, we, who knows, maybe people turn it off now. I doubt it. I think people like, like a scandal in sports. I said this on, on a recap show with the other one, the only thing they like more is a comeback and that's what we could be looking at next year. So um, I know you, we got you on board. You, you, you kind of felt, felt yeah. a little bit for, for formula one. And I know so many people have, uh, I really do feel like formula one is one of the biggest stories of the year in North America. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's rise. Formula runs rise is the story, right? Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, I'm just noticing it more in, uh, as a guy who's like not a big uh, daytime sports talks radio, but I do listen to it when I'm driving around for work, uh, which isn't all that often, but just more segments about it, more conversations about it. The Friday before it's, it's a topic of conversation, not on one niche show in the afternoon that usually, you know, the, the, the sports host kind of, you know, it's his kind of niche thing that he talks about, but every, every um, show throughout the day in the lead up to the weekend, um, there's at least some mention of uh, F1 and drive to survive or what was going on uh, in the port, points race. And I think that that's great. I mean, I just having conversations at dinner tables and uh, you know, I met someone and uh, not too long ago, we had a really great conversation about F1 and it was sort of surprised. He was sort of surprised at my interest and I was surprised at his. And, and uh, there is, it has certainly grown uh, disproportionately. And, uh, and it's really great for, like, it's great for the sport. And, uh, and, you know, as you guys said, like in, uh, in the show, like, I think the events of this year and the, just the excitement and the characters and how the season ended, are only going to drive more eyeballs to next year. And in between this season and next season, you can imagine that there's a drive to survive season that's going to come out documenting it all from behind the scenes. And that will be one of the most watched spectacles as well, too. So I don't think this is going away anytime soon. No, I think you're right. I think that, as you said, that's it's a great way to put it. It's sort of Formula One's rise, especially, in, well, obviously in North America, it's been huge in Europe and huge around the world for so long, but North America has been neglecting it, not not just because there's other things. I mean, there's NASCAR, but but really it's a different, it's, it's become a whole different beast. It's become a whole different a animal. And it's really, uh, it's really been fascinating to watch. And I'm sure... Uh, much as we talked in the last two topics, there are cascading effects of these things, right? Yeah. Whether it's young people picking up a soccer ball because they're inspired, whether it's scandal leading to conversation, leading to progress. In this situation, I think not necessarily we're going to see a whole bunch of new Canadian drivers. That's not what I'm saying. But I believe you, you are going to see a lot of the other sports entities in North America looking at the success of a Netflix series followed by the broadcasting of a sport and the correlation between the two and how they captured the imagination of so many people and turn fans um, turns fans out week after week after week in a way that we just don't see. And if you're like the CFL or if you're another sort of smaller market team or organization that is trying to grow, you have to look at the success of this and say, not, not to copy it, but to say, what is it about this that worked and how do we get a piece of that? Yeah. Because, uh, yeah. It is. I mean, that for me is the biggest thing. Well, I feel like we've covered it. I feel like that's 2021. You know, we talked about everything. 
yeah. no, we didn't. We did our best. Well, those are our three big ones uh, for the year. Obviously, there's so many we could have talked about. It's been a great year. We had the Olympics. We had, like I said, we, the list goes on and on. Oh, the point so being, much. as Elliot said, it's a wheel. It keeps going. We're going to have more in the new year. And uh, that is when we will rejoin you. We will be back in the new year with more to talk about, more fun things to cover. One last plug for next week. We have a special episode, three topics from previous episodes throughout the season. Each one of us uh, has picked one and we'll share that with you. Uh, that will be the, the end of, of 2021 for us. And we will be back with you in 2022. Thank you, Elliot. Um, happy, uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy holidays. Um, I hope you're safe. Stay safe out there, people. <laughs> be responsible. Don't get sick. Uh, and if you do, take care of yourself. And we will be with you again in the new year. Uh, until then, this was Hattrick. Hattrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler Coltman and Braden Dyler Coltman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.